Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Alright, welcome to another episode of the What If Football Podcast here on the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're back with another season review of the Premier League. Yes, we're back with another episode of the Barclays. As we count down to the 2022 FIFA World Cup, we've got this and another instalment for you. This is a review of the 2005-2006 Premier League season. Let's get stuck straight in. So where were we on our reviews of the Barclays? Well, Jose Mourinho, a special one, not one of the bottle. He was in and he was pretty much controlling the Premier League. We also had the promotion of... Sunderland back into the top flight. We were also still recoiling from perhaps the greatest ever relegation dogfight, which ended in the final day of the 2004-05 season with the relegations of Southampton after a long spell in the top flight and the likes of Norwich City and Crystal Palace who went straight back down. The winners out of that day were West Bromwich Albion, but... They didn't finish bottom of the pile here in the 2005-06 season because that onus fell onto Sunderland. And to be fair, what a mess from start to finish. Although John Stead bought for £1.8 million from Blackburn Rovers seemed like a shrewd enough purchase, although not enough, as we know now, to survive. 
They lose their first five, claim five points from the next three, which is, you know, good going for a uh, relegation-threatened team, but then go on to only gain one point from the next 13 games, which is essentially the point of no return for a club who had already started off pretty poorly. Five points from eight games is salvageable. Not so much um, six points from from uh, 20 uh, odd games, is it really? The only win um, against Fulham on May the 4th at home, by which point, of course, they'd been a long time down, breaking their own record, which was set the last time they got relegated. 2003, that was 19 points. Here it's 26 goals, 29 losses in 38 games, only win three games. And uh, Niall Quinn would be in a weird sort of unique role come the end of the season, a manager-chairman role. Now we've seen player managers before, we've even seen player coaches before, but not necessarily manager-chairman. Perhaps the uh, the next step along that way is the old uh, player-chairman role. Once we get to that, um, the game, as they say, probably would be gone. So the aforementioned West Brom, how did they rebound from finishing 17th after leaping from 20th on the final day of the previous season. Well, in any other season, they would have finished dead last here. They weren't much better than Sunderland, in all honesty. Um, Brian Robson saved them spectacularly, of course, on the final day of the season. And um, Jeff Horsfield repeated his trick of scoring at home to Portsmouth in this season as well. And that plus wins of the likes of Arsenal and Everton really proved the highlights of the baggies open in half of the season and really in truth it proved the highlight of their their entire season really the form utterly plummets after a 2-0 win at home to Blackburn in February and in terms of up front not enough consistency not enough goals of course Kieran Richardson is back at his parent club Manchester United and they go on a slump similar to what we saw from Sunderland midway through the season West Brom's four points from the final 13 games Ends how you might think. Ends in relegation. 30 points from a 38-game season. Well off the pace for survival, I would say. Probably a point a game is obviously the um, the go-to. 40 points often was the barrier. Now with the, the less competitive league, as it was in comparison to the 90s, you've got to say that a point per game should put you in good stead. Should put you in good stead, that is. Um, West Brom far from that here. And 30 points, I don't think, has... Uh, but at least by this point, had never been enough to uh, get you to survive a Premier League season. And rightly, they were down back into the Championship. Although, let's be honest, it's West Brom. And um, as their nickname suggests, boing, boing, they would be back up soon enough, I'm sure, of that one. Perhaps one for next year. So Birmingham City, they suffered a little bit of stagnation under Steve Bruce. The likes of Walter Pandiani, remember him from the good old Deportivo days earlier on in the century. Uh, he joined Mikel Forcell, a um, once bright light at Stamford Bridge. They were in for Clinton Morrison. Um, Pandiani, well, he'd be gone inside six months. Um, this Birmingham team started life very, very well in the Premier League all the way back in 2002, but some of the uh, gloss has been taken off their stint quite quite comfortably, really. Decent cup runs, quarterfinal of both cups before losing to the eventual winners in both competitions, really, Liverpool and Manchester United. And um, they're only able to beat teams um, like Sunderland and West Brom from December onwards. 
The home winds do keep them alive for a while. Bolton, Blackburn keep the head afloat, really, but uh, it's really a severe lack of goals that does them in. Really, 28 goals, that's only two more than Sunderland, a record-breakingly bad Sunderland as well. And um, after a 5-0 thrashing of Portsmouth in January, they only score seven goals. Mikel Forsell with two, one of them was a penalty as well. And then you've got Emil Herske, Yuri Yarosik, David Dunn, Chris Sutton and Nicky Butt scoring the goals. So, 0-0 versus Everton versus Newcastle as well. And a 1-0 defeat at Bolton in the last three games plops them straight into the bottom three. And then we go to Portsmouth, the other side of the dotted line. They've got a fairly rough open. 10 points from the first 15 games is certainly relegation form. Harry Redknapp takes charge, of course, famously. Beats West Brom and Fulham, fellow strugglers as well, you've got to say. But then gains one point from the next six in what was ultimately... A case of probably the Christmas period coming a bit too soon into a into a managerial tenure. And so we get to January, February time. Manchester City are next. Portsmouth are eight points off the pace. So we discussed last time out on the Barclays that um, West Brom's survival was is often known as the greatest survival of the lot. Obviously, coming from twentieth to seventeenth, it's an insane achievement. I would say getting from eight points to survival to relative safety as well, if you think about it, on the final day. Portsmouth's achievement may be even better. It's a different type of uh, of achievement, really, different type of survival, in my opinion. So you've got Pedro Mendes, of course. He's scoring goals by the bucket load in training all week. Harry Redknapp tells him to save one for the weekend. He saves not just one blooter, but two. And um, from here on in, Portsmouth are really at the race as they win at Upton Park, obviously. Harry Redknapp's former club. They win at Craven Cottage and then get good draws against top six clubs against Blackburn. Yes, Blackburn were a top six club around these times. Arsenal and um, a little loss at the Valley. Charlton stops the momentum ever so slightly, but wins against Sunderland, against Wigan, i.e. teams around them. And um, Matty Taylor penalties, all crucial in uh, Portsmouth survival. Of course, this is their third season in the uh, in the Premier League. High time for uh, for a relegation battle when you are a club of the likes of Portsmouth and Birmingham as well, who are suffering. Um, that's this is their fourth season in the Premier League, and ultimately they go down. Portsmouth survive another day, and could have um, breathed new life into the club going forward. But of course, going forward, we'll know all too much about that when we review other seasons of the Barclays. So it's mid-table time, time to take a look at the mid-table. So the best of the rest or the worst of the rest, really. Aston Villa, they lose the likes of Nobby Solano, Darius Vassell, and that really doesn't help their cause. Milan Barros bags a few, of course, formerly of Liverpool, former European Championships golden boot winner, let us not forget. But ultimately not enough for what is pretty poor season, really, from Villa. City looked to be another good season, plenty of wins, four points off United at one point, but um, ultimately one win in the final 10 games, sees to there. Ultimately 15th place finish, again, another poor season from a relatively big club. And uh, you have Middlesbrough in the uh, lower half of the table, understandably curtailing their league form because of obviously what would become in the UEFA Cup and the 
the heady nights in the uh, UEFA Cup against Basel, against Stour Bucharest and reaching a European final. I'm sure if you'd have uh, pulled Middlesbrough fans at the start of the season, 14th place in a UEFA Cup run for the ages, they'd have uh, certainly taken on, taken on that one, really. Charlton, they finished above them, thanks really in part to a solid scorer in Darren Bent. Not necesarily meaning a better season for them than Middlesbrough, I'd say definitely not. Uh, 13th for them, and we may see next season that Darren Bent was essentially papering over the cracks. It wasn't enough for Darren Bent to get a World Cup spot come the end of the season in the England squad, of course, because of Theo Walcott. So we go to Fulham and... Essentially, same old Fulham, looking fairly strong in 12th place. They never really get into any relegation scrapes. Of course, that would be to come. But um, here, 2005-06, fairly, fairly strong in 12th place. I mean, that's what you'd expect of Fulham, just merely existing in the top flight. In terms of Everton, quite the come down for David Moyes, Phil Neville and the likes of Andy van der Meder, who were... New names into the squad. James Beattie was scoring, but essentially 11th place, no silverware and a pitiful run in Europe was um, was a very, very disappointing. Probably one of the underachievers. A come down for Moyes because they were in the Champions League qualifiers come the start of the season and Villarreal knocked them out and didn't weren't successful in the uh, subsequent UEFA Cup, of course, Middlesbrough performing better than they did and 11th place after battling so well with Liverpool and even top three Manchester United, Arsenal and Chelsea, it's quite a disappointment for the Toffees. And Wigan Athletic, they were the new boys and pretty much had one of the best starts, best underdog starts to a season I think we've ever, ever seen. Remarkable start, top five until the top five Teams you'd probably say come the end of the season were all played in a row. That's your United's, Chelsea's, Arsenal, Liverpool and Spurs. And they lost all five of those fixtures. But in doing so, they did retain enough form for top half. Usually you see clubs having such a whirlwind start. A little wobble like that could see them absolutely catapult down the table. But but the Latic stayed up in uh, the top half. They're 10th and only behind a... Fellow, fellow um, promoter club West Ham. So his first seasons go for, for the Hammers. For it's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say: your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over a hundred social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today! At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For Alan Pardew, it's probably one of the best in terms of newly promoted teams. Of course, Wigan and West Ham. There's no real 
no real comparison in terms of reputation, in terms of size of the club. But West Ham teamed with an FA Cup final, almost won against Liverpool. Penalties, of course. Ninth place, uh, yeah, ninth place. Very, very, very good start to um, life back in the top flight. In terms of Wigan and West Ham, they'd be absolutely delighted with their seasons. Tenth and ninth and an FA Cup final thrown in for, for good measure, which takes us to... The European places takes us to the title race and you better believe we'll cover all that after this short break. Welcome back. It's time to take a look at the heavy hitters in the 2005-2006 Premier League season. And starting off with the best of the rest, so to speak, we've got Bolson Wanderers. Really, eighth place when you consider Neighbours Wigan had uh, such a Incredible return to the top flight, or incredible first season in the top flight in 10th. Bolton, although similar historical reputation, probably felt a bit aggrieved with 8th place. Still good though, obviously for Sam Allardyce's team. Like, so Stelios was, um, of course, banging in the goals here, taking on the mantle of the talismanic cult figure of uh, JJ Okocha. But season really where Sam Allardyce's team probably would have felt they should have kicked on after a incredible top six finish prior. Newcastle, they'd finished seventh. Um, Graham Souness lasted um, less time at St. James's Park compared, compared with uh, Ewood Park. Glenn Roder would um, pull the Toonami's nose up and finish in the top seven. Unfortunately, this was the final season of Alan Shearer retiring without bringing any glory or any silverware at least to St. James's Park. And um, his final game, fittingly, was in the Tyneweir derby with Sunderland. And in sixth place, we mentioned them earlier as a top six club, bewilderingly as it feels now. Uh, Blackburn Rovers, Craig Bellamy, Morton Gamps, Pedersen at the uh, at their absolute peak. This is Blackburn, obviously, 94, 95 aside. Actually, probably the first four or five seasons of the Premier League aside, this is peak Blackburn. Um, probably the peak cult Blackburn times when um, alongside Bolton would give the elite of the elite of the Premier League a real good go. They were nearly in the League Cup final, unfortunately fell to Manchester United in the semi-final and uh, a great second half of the season inspired by that near miss really and they will be back next season I'm sure for a good good old stab at European football. But we go on to the Champions League race between two North London giants. First Tottenham Hotspur which their run. It seemed as though they were going to be fourth place forever in this season. And to be fair, in comparison with Arsenal, they were the the dominant North London team for most of the uh, most of the season. Lasagna Gates, of course, who could forget, um, ruined them. Um, wasn't quite the the dodgy lasagna sauce. It was um, a very serious bout of norovirus, and not just some malignant pasta. And the likes of Tom Huddleston, Aaron Lennon, Edgar Davids, of course, who remembers him at White Hart Lane, Jermaine Genus were all in. Martin Yoll brought back the good times, unfortunately fell at the final hurdle thanks to that aforementioned virus. In terms of being unfortunate to lose on lose fourth on the final day, you've got to say yes and no, because Yes, of course, it is incredibly unlucky to go into a final day match. To be fair, it was going to be a tricky final day match at Umpton Park against a fellow London rival, a resurgent London rival in West Ham United. 
but obviously being stricken down by a virus, incredibly hard luck. But they had two chances when they were all fully fit, when the virus wasn't kicking about to beat Arsenal. And in games where North London derbies were exclusively draws in this um, in this season, they had two chances to beat Arsenal in order to clinch fourth and very, very nearly did in the uh, in the second of those fixtures at Highbury, but unfortunately a 1-1 draw thanks to uh, Thierry Henry's equaliser. And that is ultimately the difference. Arsenal taking two points off Spurs, ultimately four points lost in those fixtures, particularly the second one. They just needed to win one of those and they would have been in the Champions League instead. The Spurs, well, they have to wait a few more years for uh, some Champions League action. Arsenal, you could say their fourth position, or really should have been fifth, is probably an excuse because of their focus on the Champions League, just as it was with Liverpool the prior year, except Liverpool finished fifth and backdoored their way into the Champions League because of actually, you know, winning the trophy. Meanwhile, Arsenal couldn't um, couldn't manage that, despite defeating the likes of Real Madrid, Juventus, Ajax, Villarreal in a superb defensive performance that saw them not conceding in Europe for 10 successive matches, of course, covered that all the way back in Le Grandes Equipes. You'll have kept up with that if you keep up with us here on What If Football. In terms of their league form, Patrick Vieira was gone. A little bit of something was left behind, I think, um, at Highbury. This was their last last season at Highbury, of course. Robert Perez was on the back nine. He would leave soon. Rob Freddie Lundberg, far from um, his peak of only a year or two ago. And um, Arsenal preparing for that, of course, aforementioned move from Highbury to the Emirates, which means there was very little cash knocking about, of course. If you're an Arsenal fan around this time, um, there isn't any other manager you'd like to see in charge of very little money because we all know that Arsene Wenger could turn very little cash into incredible, not only profit, but silverware. You see the Invincibles made up with a shrewd free transfer move that nobody could think was possible. Saul Campbell, the likes of Emmanuel Abue as well, and even bargains in Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, and you got to say in the end, Thierry Henry, who um, all came to the fore, despite not being household names, you can throw Perez and Lundberg in there as well. And um, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, couldn't go again. In terms of the league season, their away form was incredibly poor, but ultimately found the uh, the next gear when it was desperately needed. 13 points from the final five matches, closing Highbury down with a Thierry Henry hat-trick, of course, in a 4-2 win against Wigan. And uh, that was ultimately, at least on the final day, the difference between Champions League football and UEFA Cup football, which Arsenal hadn't been in since the 2000 final and their penalty shootout defeat to Galatasaray. And then we go to the top three. And you often see with Premier League, most notably compared to other European top five leagues at the moment as well, that third place is one of these often these sort of limbo positions to be in where you're probably comfortably in the Champions League places and got very, very little to play for come the end of the season and you're not in the title race. In terms of Liverpool, this was obviously, aside from missing out of the Champions League in the last 16 to Benfica, you've got to say that this was a huge improvement on the uh, the previous season. Yes, winning the Champions League is incredible and uh, will go down as Probably one of Liverpool's greatest ever triumphs, if not the greatest, particularly how the way the final went. 
But in terms of continuing Rafa Benitez's revolution at Anfield, in terms of consistency, in terms of having a better team, in my opinion, you've got to say the 2005-06 season was better for Liverpool and built some incredible foundations to come in terms of being a stronger team. It is said that having more points, being in a better position in the league is a better barometer than cup football. And you've got to say that the team that Liverpool had in 2006 onwards, as they were pushing ever, ever, ever closer to the to the title, was probably a better team than the 2005-2004-5 season. Of course, it will be forever remembered for Istanbul for the fifth Champions League triumph. But here, 82 points, a huge improvement. You've got Xabi Alonso, Javier Mascherano to come in as well. Pepe Reina was signed in goal. And a reliance now from Steven Gerrard after, of course, keeping him throughout that turbulent summer when Chelsea wanted his, wanted, um, his signature. And um, essentially, enormous winning runs. 10 won on the spin-up to Christmas and the final 9 won. Essentially, allows Liverpool almost in the title race, but um, the top two were just too good in the end. Um, probably a less than stellar front line stopping them from winning the title, but we'll see in the coming seasons from Liverpool and a slight tactical shift with Steven Gerrard, how they would attempt to overcome that. But that is, of course, for another time. Now, in terms of the top two, we welcomed back Manchester United after some two or three seasons not being in the top two. Of course, Arsenal and Chelsea being the heavy hitters. Arsenal falling away thanks to the Champions League and a loss of a couple of names. Manchester United, the season of Wayne Rooney and Cristiano Ronaldo about to come to the fore, we see. This meant... Ruud van Nistelrooy marginalised for his training ground spat with Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course, another another real transition was Roy Keane being dumped halfway through the season for some comments made on MUTV, which of course never made the light, really, unfortunately. Also, building of defence took shape, but it only took shape midway through the season. You have Edwin van der Sar finally fulfilling the Peter Schmeichel role some six years after he departed Old Trafford and Patrice Evra and Nemanja Vidic only signed in January, perhaps to give them a little bit of a, a bedding in period before going full throttle for the league the following season, but not enough this time round. Obviously, both had incredibly bad debuts in a Manchester derby defeat when Manchester City weren't any good in a 3-1 loss and, um, of course, then fell to a David Bentley hat-trick, um, one of the... Well, under Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the few occurrences where hat-tricks were scored beyond their team, of course. Now it's a seems like a common occurrence, Erling Haaland, Phil Foden, etc. But 31 points from an available 33 towards the back end of the season, obviously with United completely out of Europe, which was an anomaly by this point, of course. Unfortunately, that next game in the next sequence was against Chelsea and Jose Mourinho, using what was essentially a similar formula as the prior season, not only in his tactics, but also racking up the wins early on and incredibly, incredibly strong start, which looked to nip the league in the bud and then focus on the uh, the Champions League and a few other cup competitions domestically. Now, of course, Chelsea, this would be Mourinho's only season in his first stint, at least, where he didn't take a uh, domestic cup trophy. Of course, Man United winning the League Cup in 2006, Liverpool doing... Likewise with the FA Cup against West Ham. In terms of Chelsea, big signings, strengthening from a uh, from a position of strength. Sean Wright Phillips and Michael Essien 
you've got to say one worked in SEN and one unfortunately didn't when it really should have in uh, in Wright Phillips. He would be back to Eastland soon enough. But um, essentially, this was Mourinho steamrolling the league before Christmas and um, in his better days at Chelsea, at least, this is what he did. Before match day 23, Chelsea dropped just five points, drawing at uh, Everton and losing at Old Trafford in November. Um, this season doesn't get as much attention as the prior season. Of course, it was nearly invincible. And of course, it was Chelsea's first league title in half a century. Mourinho's first league title in England as well. But if you factor in losses towards the end of the season against Blackburn and Newcastle, they get 97 points instead of 91. Of course, those were defeats once the league title was wrapped up. We've seen it likewise with Manchester United in 2001. Essentially down in tools, lack of determination after the league title is won and nothing else is, is left to play for in the Champions League, etc. Chelsea were out at a very early stage. The last 16 against Barcelona, the eventual champions, of course. Of course, it was some exclamation mark to uh, thrash Manchester United 3-0 to win the Premier League, of course, as well, which probably the prior season didn't have. Of course, this will be uh, all lumped in together in terms of Mourinho's masterclasses in the uh, early stages of his Premier League career. And we'll see if Chelsea can win three in a row with Mourinho or if they'll be left feeling hollow, hollow, hollow when we take a look at the 2006-07 season review of the Premier League next time out here on the Sports Social Podcast Network. A hell of a title race there. I'm sure you'll remember. We'll be covering it in depth next time out. Thank you very much for listening. Silly. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.